Uh, now, hey guys, uh, why don't we come on up? We'll talk about the exit tour. When people, E-X-I-T, exit tour. There we go. All right, so real quick, I just want to let you know what it's about, what the exit tour with Josiah Venture and the Czech Republic is about. We, uh, now, we, we flew in, and we, we went through training, and the biggest thing that we came away from our training with was the idea of the exit tour and the exit team and us being a bridge, right, between local churches and uh, local students. Like the entire thing, all of our efforts, all of what we did was for that purpose in mind because we were only there for a little while. Uh, same with the exit team. They're, they come through a town and they kind of go to all the high schools, go to some high schools in the area, but they're gone. And the, their vision and their mission and what, what really helped us know what to do in each situation was just simply knowing that we are supposed to be connecting them because we want to see those kids not only saved but discipled and grown up, right? Because we want to see the next generation uh, come to know, to, know, uh, to know Jesus and build a culture uh, of Christianity back up because it had been so decimated um, in, during communism. So, uh, Josh, want to go over so I'm going to try and paint a little bit of a picture for you guys of what, what things were like every, every, every day there so that you can kind of get a vision of what, like kind of get yourself in that headspace so while they're sharing stories you can imagine yourself being there. But really every day during the tour we were up at like 5 o'clock in the morning and Tony was like, okay. Or Boja, the guy driving the van was like, hey, we're going to be uh, meet at the van at you know, 5.45. And Tony was like, okay, that means 5.35 because we're going to be early every day to make sure that, you know, we're not, the, we're not the ones they're waiting on. So very, uh, very deliberate in being there on time. But we jump in the van before breakfast or anything, drive to the high school that we were at. We would load in, still on an empty stomach, and we're, we're emptying a van. Um, and we're, we're pushing stuff inside, gear, you know, speakers, staging, lighting. Uh, set everything up real quick. Make sure all the tech stuff works. And then while, while the tech's on the exit tour, we're kind of doing the fine-tuning of things. We would finally go in to get uh, get a shot to have some breakfast, which was cold cuts. Um, it was, yeah, we, we got, actually, I kind of liked it. We got used to having cold cuts for breakfast, which uh, is different than our cold cuts. It was like uh, you take some, some lunch meat and throw it over a breadstick and just kind of enjoy. <laughs> um, after that, right, we would switch immediately out of that place of, uh, you know, going tech setup, 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 get something quick to eat, and the rest of the day it is, we're having as many conversations with as many different people as we possibly can, trying to connect with kids, have those meaningful conversations. Uh, we're having fun at the concert. We're trying to get people to dance. Caleb was a machine, yes. a dancing machine. Um, <laughs> after the concert, we would uh, sit down and talk with kids, have a lot of conversations. I'm sure these guys have a ton of stories about that specific thing uh, after that. Go back into tech mode, tear everything down, throw it in the van, grab a quick bite for lunch, and then maybe get a little bit of a break before we go set up for whatever evening event was that night, which is anything from a pizza party to an acoustic concert to a full-blown concert. And then go home, get some sleep, get up and do it all over again. Yeah. Yeah, and so we ended up having a lot, a lot of conversations with the kids. And um, Caleb, I want you to start by sharing... Uh, just a little bit about 
one of the kids. And All right, so I'd like to talk about on the first day when we were at the first school, I think it was Tuesday, uh, and we were at a middle school, and all the kids were walking in, and I was looking at them, looking at them and, and saying, all right, this one is, seems like they'll be more inclined to dance, and these ones are probably the kids that think they're too cool, and will probably sit in the back. And so I made it my goal to go and talk to the kids in the back first, because if I can get the, the ones that are too cool to do something first, then the other ones will be easier to sway to get to dance or get into the concert. So I went and talked to these kids first that were sitting down in the back. Everybody else was kind of standing up in front of the stage, singing the songs and having fun. And they were just sitting in the back, not doing anything, not talking. So I went up to them and I started talking to them. I found out that they have like a YouTube channel and all this stuff. And so I, I connected with them on that. I subscribed to their YouTube channel and, and just you know made them, made them feel yeah, and Instagram. Yeah, and so I, I met this one kid, and I we I got his Instagram. He got mine, and on Instagram you can message people like a private message. And so we were we were just talking, like texting, and come to find out that he was actually a Christian, and his name is Dennis, and he was so happy that we were there, and he loved the band, and him he had two friends that were twins, and every event every after after school event and the concert they were there and they even at the concert we were passing out tickets to people in the street that we saw before the concert and me and him went together and we were passing out tickets and he was amazing and he i didn't speak czech obviously so he he would go up to people and and talk to them and he just was he was on fire and it was it was nice to get him connected to the local church because through those after school events and and because he wanted to see us and see the band, the local church got to talk to him and connect with him. And they actually told me that uh, they felt like they had a really strong relationship with him at the end of the week. So that's cool. Yeah, we, we actually, uh, they actually sent some pictures to Josh and, and he's, you know, bringing his friends and he's connected to the local church. So that's really cool. Do you have one, Hannah? Well, so that was loud. So one thing that was really cool for me was just getting to see people come again and again, to see the same faces over and over, and to see how engaged and interested the students were in learning more about us and in learning more about Jesus. Um, one thing that was really cool for me was a lot of little, the little middle schoolers. I really built a relationship with them, and they came to every single event that we invited them to. They were at the concert. They've all been um, talking to me on Instagram, too, and just getting to see how excited they were to build relationships, to meet people from a totally different culture than them, and to get to hear about Jesus and what he did in our lives. And for me, getting to connect them with the local church was the most rewarding thing, because we're like there and then gone. We're kind of a flash in the pan almost, but the local church is going to be that slow burn to keep them engaged, to keep them um, built into what God has for them and his plan. And so, yeah. So, yeah, we have, we have a lot of more stories we could go on for a long time. But what were some of the lessons we learned? Boom. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So um, we, we're supposed to have a ton of different conversations with as many people as we possibly could um, on this mission trip. And so uh, we got a lot of practice of just bringing up God and Christianity in regular conversations. And that was something 
uh, that is applicable now because we just got so much work and practice at it. I've gotten quite good at just being like asking kind of a probing question and then bringing up God immediately and then getting deeper into that. So that was that was great to work on that. Yeah, that's. I mean, even even myself, like having that much practice at it was amazing. So, uh, Sophie, you had no. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So one of the coolest things I think that we saw while we were there was that God helps people work together that are like on completely different ends of the spectrum. So we're American and we speak English, and these people are Czech and they speak Czech. And just the fact that we can work together so closely, like the first day we got there, after the first like school, everyone just kind of clicked. We knew what we were doing and we knew where we were going and like what our goal was here. Um, and like to give you an example of like the personalities on this team, there's this dude named Mara and he was the most ornery person I think I've ever met in my life. Yeah. <laughs> and um, there's this other dude named Boja, yeah. and he was really, really chill and laid back, and they got along just fine. Like, yeah. I think if they weren't a part of this, they would have clashed yeah. so much. But just the fact that we all had a common goal, like, it, it brought us together. Yeah. Uh, yeah, having that single purpose. I mean, Caleb said, you know, when we left, it was like, he's like, ah, oh, it feels like we're leaving family, you know? And so just the way that the gospel binds us together and that purpose, that single purpose, can really um, can make us effective as a team. And so uh, we want to thank you guys for all your prayers, all your support um, for, for this whole trip, uh, for both. I mean, two, it's amazing. Uh, for buying pies, for, for helping. Um, we just appreciate all of you guys, and we just uh, want to really thank you. It's been a really life-changing experience. So I'm going to pray. And we'll, we'll continue worship. Lord God, I just thank you so much for, uh, for your mission, Lord, uh, worldwide, Lord. We thank you for the lessons learned uh, overseas, Lord, in a different place, in a different uh, context, Lord. We pray that uh, we would take those lessons and that we would bring them back and we would be able to apply them here, Lord, that we, we might see the single purpose your, uh, the advancement of your kingdom uh, be our motivating and binding, uh, binding tie, Lord, as, uh, as Christians and as your church. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning, and uh, it's good to be back. I was on the, the most recent trip to the Czech Republic, and uh, still am jet lag. find myself waking up at 2 in the morning, and then I can fall asleep till about 4, and then I am ready to go. So if anybody wants coffee at 4.30 or something, let me know. Um, but uh, one more thing we want to share with you this morning, kind of, uh, this is a little off the cuff. If you would make uh, Mike one, Josh is Mike hot. Uh, Dave Hartman uh, recently had a trip to Knoxville, Tennessee, and I thought he was just going to eat barbecue, but it turns out he was doing something else. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we just wanted uh, to let you all know that um, Karen and the family and I will be moving to Knoxville, Tennessee. Um, we will be leaving um, probably middle of June, and um, I start work first of July. And so we'd appreciate your prayers. And um, and so if you got any more questions for me, feel free to catch me after service or whatever. But um, just want to thank you guys for. Um, I've been with this church for just over 40 years, um, so this is a 
this is a pretty major transition for our family. So, um, but God has just been amazing. He's just like rolling open doors like you wouldn't believe. So, um, made it very clear this is where we're supposed to be. So, we Sh- just want to share with you. us what you're going to be doing. Um, yeah, I was just. Uh, my son works for a cabinet shop out there, and so um, they are growing and automating and. Um, and so his boss was kind of picking his brain, and he just said, why don't you call my dad? My dad did this before and has done this for a long time, and uh, maybe you can get some uh, info from him that would be helpful. And so he called me up, and after about a four-hour-long conversation, he said, would you be interested in coming out and running my shop for me? And um, so we talked, uh, I mean, over that four-hour conversation, obviously we got to know each other a little bit about you know, his philosophy of business and what he's out there doing, and as a Christian man, how he runs his business, and um, it just seemed to be a good fit. So I said, well, why don't you fly me out there, and we'll talk some more and see if we're a good fit. And by the time we got done, we just knew it was where we were supposed to be. Yeah. So, so what's the most exciting thing about this for you and Karen? To be honest, just kind of seeing what God is going to do in this next chapter of our lives. Because um, um, my son and his wife um, out there, Oscar and Savannah, go to a, a church that has kind of just gotten started within the last couple of years. It's got a young pastor and a bunch of young families. And um, so we're excited to kind of check that out. And um, the gal that we, we just made an offer on a house the other day, and it has been accepted. And... They are my son and daughter-in-law's small group leaders, and um, they're just moving down the street, and they're just excited about having us there. And so, I mean, it's one of the examples of things that are just God showing the way. He, they immediately just heard our story and said, we'll drop the price of our house for, by $20,000 to make sure you guys can do it. Um, so anyway, it's just kind of cool. That's awesome. So we're excited. I'm I'm excited about maybe getting involved in a in a new new church with a bunch of young people that just um, we can see where we can help and yeah. and serve. Yeah. So that's awesome. Well, let me pray because I I think uh, we all sort of have a bittersweet taste in our mouth because we love you, Dave. Um, so Heavenly Father, we thank you that uh, you are guiding and leading in all things. Uh, thank you that uh, you have shown an open door to Dave and Karen here. Um, in some ways, we, we kind of wish you wouldn't have because we like Dave and Karen. But, uh, but at the same time, we trust you. I trust this next chapter of their lives to you. Um, and uh, thank you for the many years that Dave has been a friend, a pastor, um, a servant, a, a teacher, a preacher, um, and so many more things here at Hilltop Community Church. We have been blessed by this man. We continue to look forward to the friendship uh, that will be uh, a little bit more distant because of the the land that will be between us. But it would be really cool to hear the things that you do with Dave and Karen in Tennessee. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, brother. All right, so this morning we're going to be in Ezekiel, uh, going back to Ezekiel, and we're going to cover two chapters. So chapter 9 and chapter 10, we're going to go through these, and because it's so many verses, it'll be kind of more of a high-level look, look at the two chapters, and uh, just a little bit of, of context, where are we in the book of Ezekiel? Um, obviously, uh, Ezekiel is a prophet of God, and God has uh, been using Ezekiel to uh, share some things that's going to ta- that are going to take place to the nation of Judah and the city of Jerusalem. 
Um, and as, as we've gone through this, what we've seen is that the nation of Judah and the city of Jerusalem, uh, they, they, ha- they are far from God. And they have been far from God for quite some time. The people are engaged in uh, worshiping false gods, uh, and the leadership is, is guiding them to do that. Uh, the last time we were in Ezekiel, what we saw was that God actually took Ezekiel from uh, his exile in Babylon and in the Spirit brought him to Jerusalem to show him some things that were going to take place. And what we just saw in the previous chapter was how much the leadership of this nation did not care for God, God's ways, and how much they were guiding people away from God. There were, there were three major groups. There was the, uh, the household unit was guiding people away from God. The, the, uh, the religious unit, the religious leaders were guiding people away from God. And, and the government itself, the, the king and his people, uh, his, his servants were leading the people away from God. And so what you have is on all, all major levels of leadership uh, within a nation, a religious group, and the family, um, Everyone is moving away from God. And what we're going to see in these chapters, uh, 9 and 10 today, is that God is going to do something, and it may seem a little bit radical to us. Um, And so as you get into this, I want you to kind of preface your mind with a few things. Uh, What should God's people be known for? As you think about that, if if someone was a follower of God, what should they be known for? Uh, What should a place filled with God's people be like? So what should God's people be known for? And if there was a gathering place where all these people came, what should that place be like? And then if there was an institution, if God put together, uh, in this case, a nation or if a, a church, uh, if He put together an institution, what should that institution function like? So what should God's people look like? What should the place where they gather look like? And what should the institution, the governing body that guides that, that group of people, what should that look like. Now, when those claiming to be uh, all of these things, that we're God's people, we meet in God's place, and we are uh, God's governing body here, so to speak, um, when, all of, when, when people who are all these things reject God and develop a lifestyle that's dedicated to the worship of something else, what should God do? So if, if there's a group of people and they say, we're, we're God's people, and they meet in this place and they say, this is the place where we meet to gather together to share our faith and, and follow this God that we represent. And, uh, and there's, a, there's a governing body that oversees all of that. And all of those things have pushed God away and gone a different direction. They're supposed to be representing Him, but instead they're moving away from Him. What should God's response be to that? And that's what we're going to see here. So if, if you want to grab your Bible and go to chapter 9 of Ezekiel, I'm going to read the whole chapter and then discuss it a bit. Then he, that's God, cried out in my hearing, that's Ezekiel's hearing, with a loud voice saying, Draw near, O executioners of the city, each with his destroying weapon in his hand. Behold, six men came from the direction of the upper gate which faces north each with his shattering weapon in his hand. And among them was a certain man clothed in linen, linen represents holiness in this case, with a writing case at his loins on his side. And they went in and stood beside the bronze altar. Then the glory of the God of Israel went up from the cherub, an angel, on which it had been, to the threshold of the temple. And he called the man clothed in linen at whose loins was a writing case." 
Then the Lord said to him, Go to the midst of the city, even through the midst of Jerusalem, and put a mark on the foreheads of the men who sigh and groan over all the abominations which are being committed in its midst. To the others, he said, the other, the other six that are with the man in linen, he said, Go through the city after him and strike, and do not let your eye have pity, and do not, do not spare." Utterly slay old men, young men, maidens, little children, and women, but do not touch any man on whom is the mark, and you shall start from my sanctuary. So they started with the elders who were before the temple. And he said to them, Defile the temple and fill the courts with the slain. Go out. Thus they went out and struck down the people in the city, and they were striking the people, and I alone was left. I fell on my face and cried out, Alas, Lord God, are you, are you destroying the whole remnant of Israel by pouring out your wrath on Jerusalem? Then he said to me, The iniquity of the house of Israel and Judah is very, very great, and the land is filled with blood, and the city is full of perversion. For they say, The Lord has forsaken the land, and God and, and the Lord does not see. But as for me, my eye will have no pity, nor will I spare." but I will bring their conduct upon their heads. Then behold, a man, then behold, the man clothed in linen, at whose loins was the writing case, reported, saying, I have done just as you have commanded me. So you read this chapter and you realize what God is doing here. Is there's, a, there's a great judgment that's being carried out on the nation of Judah. Uh, if you don't know the history of Israel, uh, they had three great kings, and at the end of the, the last great king's reign, they ended up splitting in two over a financial dispute. The two nations split, in, or the, the one nation split into two. And uh, the northern nation, Israel, has already been conquered by the Assyrians uh, a couple hundred years before this. The southern nation, Judah, where Jerusalem is, is still, um, this is yet to happen. But God is giving Ezekiel a vision of what is going to take place. And so as you read this, you think, my goodness, this seems pretty drastic, that God would go in and you read what He says. He, he says, I'm going I'm to wipe out everybody, regardless of age or gender, uh, that doesn't have the mark on their forehead. And it kind of sounds a little bit like Exodus, right? Exodus 11 and 12 with the passing over and the, the blood of the lamb on the doorpost and the firstborn would be spared. Sounds similar to that. Uh, this mark was uh, the last letter in the Hebrew alphabet. That's Ta. It was, it was an X or a cross. Um, if, it, if it was a cross, it's merely uh, coincidental. This doesn't, this doesn't point forward to the cross. Um, but it's also the mark, the mark that is similar given to the 144,000 in Revelation chapter 7 that will be uh, God's representatives during the tribulation period. Uh, but here in Ezekiel, the mark separates those who groan over the abominations in Judah and those who embrace them. Really what it does is it separates those who long to know God and those who do not. Now, the other thing you have to get, grab hold of here um, is that this is a vision. This isn't actually taking place, uh, the, though when Babylon comes into Jerusalem, something very similar will happen. But God is showing Ezekiel the way of life of the people of Jerusalem, and in particular, how the leaders of the city and nation are directing people away from him. And this has been going on, you might think, this, this might sound like sort of a snap judgment from God. He just kind of loses his cool and slays the city. But this has been going on for 340 years. This isn't like some snap decision where he got upset and then lost his cool. But instead, he's been watching his people move away from him for three centuries. 
And there's been good kings and some people that led people that led the people back towards God. And there's been people in the in the midst of that that have longed for relationship with God. But it has gotten progressively worse and worse and worse and worse to the point that now God says, "I'm going to come in and there'll be judgment." And He's going to use Babylon to do this. But you have to see here uh, that there are still those, Ezekiel says, as he goes through, he's the only one left. Uh, he, he feels as though he's the only one whose heart is after God. He's the only one who has a desire to know God and His ways. But what we have to see here is that there is this saving mark uh, that, like Exodus, when the blood of the Lamb was put on the doorpost, that there was something that would save the people. Their trust and their belief in God would save them. Their desire to know Him and want relationship would save Him. And what we have to see here is that the gospel is what saves God's people. It's always mercy. It's always grace. But it's always individuals who long to know God. It's not that God's voice is absent within this nation. It's that people are not listening to it. There have, been good, there have been good kings that tried to lead the people back to Him. And, and so what you see here is that the gospel is what saves. But when the gospel is not trusted, when God's character and His goodness and His mercy are not trusted, the eventual end is some type of judgment. In this case, it's the judgment of a people, a city, and a nation. Now, you go on to chapter 10 here. Let's look at chapter 10. This is a little bit longer, and I'll probably stop probably stop about eight verses in, and then we'll read, I'll do some explaining and then read the rest of it. It says, Then I looked, and behold, the expanse was over the heads of the cherubim, something like a sapphire stone. The appearance resembling a throne appeared above them. And he spoke to the man clothed in linen and said, Enter between the whirling wheels under the cherubim and fill your hands with coals of fire from between the cherubim and scatter them over the city. Um, within the temple, coals were used as, as a, a, a purifying. The heat was made to purify. So he's saying, Purify my city. And he entered my sight. Now the cherubim were standing on the right side of the temple when a man entered, and a cloud filled the inner court. Then the glory of the Lord went up from the cherub to the threshold of the temple, and the temple was filled with the cloud, and the court was filled with the brightness of the glory of the Lord. Moreover, the sound of the wings of the cherubim was heard as far as the outer court, like the voice of God Almighty when He speaks. And it came about when He commanded the man clothed in linen, saying, Take fire from between the whirling wheels and between the cherubim. He entered and stood beside the wheel. Then the cherub stretched out his hand from between the cherubim to the fire, which was between the cherubim, took some and put it in his hands, put it in, into the hands of the one clothed in linen, who took it and went out. The cherub, the cherubim appeared to have the form of a man's hand under his, under their wings. Now, this sounds pretty confusing even to me, and I've read it multiple times. Okay, um, so what you have here is there's actually two groups of angels. Um, there's one group of angel that is over the mercy seat within the Holy of Holies. And that was their job. Their job was to remain there to protect that place. Uh, they were there to, uh, to look over the Holy of Holies, and that was their job. And there's, so there's one there, and then there's another group of angels uh, that, are those, that are connected to the throne chariot vision. That if you weren't here for chapter 1, um, 
whatever that was, like six months ago, um, then, then you don't know what I'm talking about. But, but uh, in the first chapter of Ezekiel, God gives Ezekiel a vision of four different angels, um, and there's a wheel within a wheel, and it's a very confusing vision, and people have tried to draw it the best that they can. Um, and really, I don't think it was meant to be a literal thing. It was more there to teach us something about God. Okay, And what we remember from the, the throne chariot vision in chapter 1 is that God is present under all circumstances. He's always around. Um, we, re, we learn that God was holy and rightly judges sin, that He's totally different from us, He's way above us, and that He has the right to and He does rightly judge sin. Um, it also taught us that God is fully aware of everything. So He's present under all circumstances, and He's aware of everything. Um, it taught us that God is sovereign and unique. There's nobody like Him, and He is in control. It taught us that He is glorious and merciful. Okay, So we have these two different groups of angels, one that is over the Holy of Holies, and this other group with this, with the, with this chariot, and we're going to see what they're going to do in just a minute. So, but you've but you've got this circumstances. Try and picture. Just try and picture. Um, a, there's there's a temple, and inside of that, there's there's a unique place where the where it's believed that God resides, and in that unique place, there's a group of angels that guard it. Another group of angels is coming to that place, and they're about to do something. Okay, and so that's what's taking place here. Uh, verse nine. Then I looked, and behold. Four wheels beside the cherubim, one wheel beside each cherub, and the appearance of the wheels was like the gleam of Tarshish, Tarshish stone. As for their appearance, all four of them had the same likeness as if one wheel were within another. When they moved, they went in any of the four directions without turning as they went, but they followed in the direction which they faced without turning as they went. So from that, the, the idea of uh, they're fully aware of everything, they can see everything. Uh, their whole body, their backs, their hands, their wings, and the wheels were full of eyes all around and the wheels belonging to all four of them. The wheels were called in my hearing the whirling wheels. In other words, there was some noise associated with them. And each had four faces. The first face was the face of a cherub, the second was the face of a man, the third the face of a lion, and the fourth the face of an eagle. Then the cherub rose up, and uh, excuse me, then the cherub rose up. They are the living beings I saw by the river Chabar back in chapter 1. Now the cherubim moved, now when the cherubim moved, the wheels would go beside them. Also, when the cherubim lifted their wings to rise from the ground, the wheels would not turn from beside them. When the cherubim stood still, the wheels would stand still, and when they rose up, the, wheel, the wheels would rise with them, for the spirit of the living beings was with them. Okay, so again, we get a little bit further definition of who these angels are. Very difficult to picture. Um, but what, what's really trying to be communicated is not some, a, a picture for you to see, but characteristics of God. Um, that, that he sees everything, he's present under all circumstances, he's sovereign and unique, he's glorious and merciful, um, he's holy and rightly judges sin. There's really, the word picture is more for us to understand characteristics about God than try to picture this crazy chariot. I've tried to picture the crazy chariot. It's, you, go, you go bonkers. Um, then in verse 18, Then the glory of the Lord departed from the threshold of the temple and stood over the cherubim 
When the cherubim departed, they lifted their wings and rose up from the earth in my sight with the wheels beside them. And they stood still at the entrance of the east gate of the, of the Lord's house, and the glory of the God of Israel hovered over them. These are the living beings that I saw beneath the God of Israel by the river Chabar. Uh, so I knew that they were cherubim. Each one had four faces and each one four wings, and beneath their wings was the form of human hands, and the likeness of their faces were the same faces which appeared, uh, whose appearance I had seen by the river Chabar. Each one went straight ahead. Okay, so what is going on with all of this? Um, again, go back to the, there's a temple, and within that temple, there's a place that God resides. The, the, the nation of Israel, they believe that that was his place of residence, his, his, uh, uh, his dwelling place with them, okay? And there's, a, there's one group of angels that's guarding that, and then we have this other group of angels that's coming in, and what do they do? They depart, and they depart with the glory of the image of the, of the God of Israel. And so what we have here is that God is actually removing himself from the people, the city, and the nation. Not forever, but for a period. The, the, the people have stiff-armed God over and over and over and over again for 340 years. They've pushed Him away and pushed Him away and pushed Him away, and progressively the stiff arm has gotten stronger and better. They've become better and better at trying to stand on their own two feet and not need God. And now God is removing Himself, and they're receiving judgment. And so what you have to see here is that the main point is that, is that God will not only judge the people, but also their city and their nation. As a people, place, and institution, Israel was intended to be God's ambassadors. God had, God had said, I'll be your God, and you'll be my people, and you will represent me to the nations. You'll be a people who belongs to me. You'll be my people. I'll give you a city, and that will be the place that, we get, that, that you gather and you come to worship me and dwell within my presence. So you'll be my people. I'll give you a place and I'll make you an institution, a nation, and I'll give you a governing body that will, that will guide the people to know me. And then through that, the world would know me as well. That was God's design for the nation of Israel. They'd be his people. He'd give them a place and he'd give them an institution, a nation. And through that, he'd reveal himself to the world. But what happens? They say, no. We're going to stand on our own two feet. We're going to go after our, after our own false gods. We're going to, we're, I'm going to be number one, not you. And, and, and they end up getting further and further and further away from God. So much farther away from God that when Jesus returns, uh, they've made it back to, uh, when, when Jesus comes the first time uh, 2,000 years ago, the, the nation has, has made it out of Babylon, out of captivity, and they're, they're back to Jerusalem. But they're so far away from their God that by the time Jesus shows up, they don't even recognize Him for who He is. They don't even know their own God. They've developed systems and ideas, and uh, they, they worship their own uh, religious systems. They, re they worship their own way of understanding God. So to the point that when God shows up, they don't even see Him. And that's why the gospel is so important. Because we, we, need, we need mercy. We need grace. Grace. 
We need God to step in and, and take the punishment that we deserve. The nation of, of Israel, they, they needed it. Me as a, I'm, I'm not Jewish, I have no Jewish lineage, but me as a, as a Gentile and somebody who's done the best that I could up until a point in my life to stand on my own two feet, I need God's mercy. I need Him to step in and say, I'm going to take away what you deserve and lay it on myself. And that's what Jesus did. The, the punishment that we see, the, the, the discipline, the... Uh, the destruction of the people that we see in chapter 9, is a, is a, it's, a, it's a picture of what each and every one of us deserve for our rebellion against God. And the gospel is Jesus coming in and saying, I will take that destruction. The destruction that, that I deserve, that you deserve for rebelling against God, he, he, he says, I'll take it. So Jesus steps in and He says, I'll carry that for you. I'll pay that debt. Mercifully, I'll, I'll remove what you deserve from falling on you and I'll take it upon myself. See, God rightly judges sin and either I can take the consequences of my sin. And this is a place where each and every one of us stands. You can, you can bear the weight of your sin if you want to. It'll cost you eternity apart from God. You can do that. You can say, I'll take it. I'll bear that weight. And, and what the, the consequences is separation from God. Or you can look at what Jesus has done and you can see that He has paid the infinite price that each and every one of us owes and God is just to remove the penalty from us and place it on Christ and free us from that debt. We all need the gospel. But it's not something that we need just one time, you know. It's not just a moment where we raise our hand at some point or stand up at some point or say a prayer at one, one point in time in our life, and we do it that one time and we're good to go. But instead, the gospel is something that we need each and every day. You need it today. You need it tomorrow. You need it each and every day of your life. The gospel is not something that you raise your hand one time, pray a prayer one time, and then move on, and you're a Christian but instead, the gospel is something that you need daily. Each and every day, we need God's mercy to free us from the penalty of our sins. Each and every day, we need God's grace to raise us up, to live a life that then, instead of living in sin, we live in righteousness. We need the gospel each and every day. Now, within, this, within these chapters, we see a people, a place, and an institution that had fallen away from, literally rejected God and their role with Him. And the nation of Israel, if you look at how Jesus describes it in a couple of places, He goes to the fig tree and He, says, he talks about how the fig tree is withering and how it's good for nothing but to be burnt. It was a, it was a reference to the nation of Israel. Paul talks about the nation of Israel in Romans chapter 9 and how he wishes that the people would come back to God, but instead they've reached a point of, of uselessness, fruitlessness. And so what we have now is the people, place, and institution are Christians. They're followers of Jesus Christ. The institution, uh, the place is, is the church. It's a gathering place where we come together, and it's not just a building. It could be your home. It could be a coffee shop. It could be any number of places where you come together with fellow believers, and you grow in closeness with them and Jesus Christ. But there's a people, there's a place, and there's an institution, which is the church. And so we care about these things. 
We care about the people that make up the body of Jesus Christ. One of the, the goal of, 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 of the church for many years here at Hilltop, we've quoted Ephesians chapter 4, and we've gone through how there's, there's people with spiritual gifts of leadership, and it's their job to equip the body of Christ, you, me, everybody here, to do the work of service so that we could be mature people who don't get tricked by fake doctrines and false teachings in the world around us, but instead are able to stand firm and share the love of Christ with the world around us. We care about the people who make up the church. We also care about the place. And one of the things that's taking place right now is we're meeting with church architects and we're talking about how do we make the best use of what's going on on top of this hill in Carson City, Nevada, so that we could be a light, we could be a beacon, we could reach out into the communities around us and share the gospel, but also be a place where our community wants to come and, and check out who Jesus is. So we care about the people. We care about this place. We long to do the very best that we can with what God has given us on top of this hill to reach out into the community and build up the body of Christ. We also very much care about the institution and how the, this church functions. Um, if you haven't been here very long, there have been several times within the history of Hilltop Community Church where people have butted heads and gone different directions. We have a group of people, elders and pastors and staff, that really, really care about each other and really, really want unity. And I look around the room and there's guys like Merlin and Jim, there's Tony and other pastors and other elders within this group of people that we genuinely care that this church functions in unity that we were striving after the same purpose, that we long to see the gospel reach the community around us, that we long to see uh, 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 us to stay together, not to, not to squibble, or squibble, that's not the right word, but what's, what am I trying to say? Squ squabble? Quibble? Squabble? We don't want to fight with each other, okay? We're not trying to do that. We want to be united. But these are things that are still really important. There's a people it's followers of Jesus Christ. We long for people to be disciples of Jesus Christ and to grow in grace and mercy and into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. We long for this to be a place that is used well and wisely so that we can go out into the community around us and serve and feed those who don't have food and clothe those who don't have clothes and invite people into relationship with Jesus Christ who don't yet know Him and to grow those up who do know Him. And we also, very, very, there's a lot of effort you may never see it, but there's a lot of effort to maintain unity and a common direction between the leadership of the church right now. It's actually a really beautiful thing. I've seen the fights, and right now there is amazing leadership at this church. And I think because of that, we're not in a place where we would experience what you see in chapter 9 and 10. But I think instead right now there's a season, and I hope it's a prolonged season at Hilltop Community Church where we strive to keep it, where God's presence and His blessing and His life and His love are clear to people around us. And the name of Jesus is making its way into this community. So I hope that excites you. Um, as I read through these chapters, I saw it really clear that there's a people, there's a place, and there's an institution. And the people, the place, and the institution had just left God, fought against Him for centuries. 
And it made me kind of internalize this, like, who are we in comparison to these three things? Who are we as a people? Who are, what, what, what is this place that God has given us, and how is our institution functioning? And, and I prayed about that, and I thought about it long and hard, and the more I looked at it, the more I went, this is a wonderful season at Hilltop Community Church, and I hope that excites you. If you're visiting with us this morning, I pray that it's something that, that you want to know a little bit more about of. Uh, if, if you've been with us for a while, but you haven't taken the next steps to connect uh, with some people here at the church, sign up for one of these groups, join a Bible study, join a home group. Um, if, you, if those things are scary to you, um, we can have a cup of coffee too, and it can just be more one-on-one. But we long for the people to grow up here at Hilltop Community Church in grace and mercy and into the image of Jesus Christ. We want to use this place the very best that we can that we have here on top of this hill. And there is a group of people that strive for unity here that you may never know or see, um, but it's a wonderful thing that's taking place right now. And uh, that's, that's good stuff. Never forget that you need the gospel every day. You need God's grace and God's mercy every day. It's not just a one-time hand-raising or a one-time prayer, but the gospel is relevant to every decision that you make today, tomorrow, and for the rest of your life. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Uh, thank you for the, the opportunity to go to the Czech Republic and be a part of a group of people um, who love you, uh, who long to see your name glorified, and who uh, are passionate about sharing uh, your good news, that your son Jesus dealt with sin and death once and for all, that he rose from the dead, and in that we have new life, uh, and we can live a completely different way because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thank you for that opportunity to do that in the Czech Republic. I thank you uh, that, that you are working here within, the, with, within uh, the space that we have, within the people uh, that are a part of Hilltop Community Church, that you're, you're showing us different ways that we can best use the place that you've given us on top of this hill. And I thank you for um, the, the group of men and women who truly care about the unity of this body, uh, the unity of this church, May we continue to strive to work together for your glory. Uh, may we be known as not those who fight with each other, but those who love and serve and bless the community around them. Um, pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.